0: Thank you, friends. It is so wonderful to be with you here today on this Thanksgiving weekend. You all look pretty fed and happy, hopefully ready to stay awake. Hi, Fulton Heights. I see you, and I see you if you're sleeping, too. Yeah. And now it is my distinct honor and privilege to welcome you to the most wonderful time, Record Scratch. Every mom who's listening right now just heard it's the final countdown start playing in their heads. Yes, because December is the Mom Olympics. There are 700 events, 30 days, and no medals. Nobody wins. But this is how Christmas happens, right? First event, main event, shopping. Yeah, I'm a contender. I got four kids, two nephews and a niece, seven siblings, five parents, and a partridge in a pear tree. Which reminds me, I'm going to need some white elephant gifts also for the Christmas party. Right? Then there's the teacher gifts and the assistant teacher gifts and the delivery guy things that you leave on the front porch and the mailman and the housekeeper. And don't forget your stylist this year either, people. And we haven't even wrapped anything yet. (sighs) Then I get to make Christmas cards or Christmas cookies and gingerbread houses with my kids so that my kitchen can be as brightly colored as my Christmas tree. (gasps) Have you put your Christmas tree up yet? Yeah? And the 87 other decorations so that every room in your house can have a little bit of Christmas. Christmas cards, matching family PJs, outdoor lights, the Harry Potter Lego Advent calendar, meal prepping, shopping, making things that I only cook once a year. All to make every moment magical And you guys, I love it. I love doing it. I genuinely enjoy doing that work. I don't like what it does to me. I don't like that all too easily it leaves me empty and burned out. And that's what we're going to talk about today, friends. We're going to talk about those seasons and circumstances that we all go through where the expectations are so high. And we're sitting here going, I am not enough for this. And it's easy to see that in circumstances like work, right? When the calendar invites are just piling up and the, like, the little boxes on your calendar are all overlapping each other, right? And maybe that's led you to a point at work where the job you used to love isn't a job you want to do anymore because of what it's done to you. But burnout also touches us in so many other areas of life that we have to recognize. We've got financial burnout, social burnout. Have you ever experienced relationship burnout? Yeah? Have you been there where you've had the same fight every night for a year and a half? And you've tried so hard to find a compromise, to find a way forward, to find some common ground. And that's good work. It's a good conversation to have. The problem is the strain of doing that has left you empty and burned out. Or maybe your relationship feels fine. Everything's fine in our marriage as long as we're both working really hard at it. As long as every emotional muscle is engaged in keeping us from drifting apart. Because drift is real. And that's good work to do in a marriage. You don't want to drift apart. The problem is doing that work has left you empty and burned out. And maybe bitterness and resentment have started to set in. We cannot ignore the possibility, too, of spiritual burnout, right? Without a right understanding of the gospel, friends, we will go through our lives trying to be like Jesus. We will try to do and say the right things. We'll go to church every Sunday. We'll tithe every paycheck. We'll serve in a ministry area. And all it will get us is empty and burned out of trying to be a good enough Christian. The thing that we have to ask this morning is why? If all of those things are good work to do, why does it do that to us? Why are we burned out? Why are we running ourselves into the ground? I'll go first. Why do I run myself into the ground every December? Because I am a grade A third generation people pleaser. And I want my kids to be happy, and I want my husband to be proud of me, and I want everyone I know, family, friends, and strangers, to know that I'm generous and thoughtful. The problem is, now my identity and my dignity and my worth as a mom, wife, and general human being are all wrapped up in my successful ability to meet everyone's expectations around me. And I can't. I need a better why. Burnout happens because we need a better why for our good work. So what's your why? Why are you burning the candle at both ends to meet all those deadlines at work? Is it because you want to be seen as someone who's dependable? Is it because you need to feel like a good provider for your family? Is it because that possibly your identity, dignity, and worth have gotten wrapped up in being successful at your job? Why are you working so hard to make that marriage work? It might seem easy, but guys, it's more complex than that. Is it because the alternative might be that you would then have to recognize and admit your failings as a spouse? So now your dignity and worth are wrapped up in making your marriage work. We need a better why if we're going to do the good work without getting burned out. We need a better why, and that's what we're going to see in our passage today. We're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with his friend and disciple, Martha, and he's going to go so far past talking about what she's doing. He's going to speak to her about what it's done to her and why. We're looking at Luke 10 this morning, so you can go ahead, pull out your phones and follow along in your Bible app, or you can read the words on the screen. What's happening in this passage is that Jesus and his followers have hit the road. They're headed to Jerusalem, probably for some feast because they're good little Jewish boys, and he's traveling throughout Judea, blanketing the area with his message. But here's what we need to know, that Jesus isn't just traveling with his 12 disciples. When it says followers here, he's likely traveling with somewhere between 70 to 100 people. It's a a road show, okay? And in our passage today, it's stopping at the village of Bethany at the home of Mary and Martha. So here we are in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Chances are, you've heard this story before, right? Scholars have been debating about this for centuries, and who doesn't love a little sibling rivalry, right? Are you team Mary or team Martha? I'm going to be up front. I got a soft spot for you, Martha. I see you, girl. I see your hustle. But I think it's easy for us to look at her in this circumstance and think that Martha is trying to be Martha Stewart, right? Which makes Mary Snoop Dogg, and that makes me happy. Okay. It's easy to think that she's just going overboard with all of these preparations, with the cooking and the cleaning and the cooking things that are gourmet and making the salami look like a little rose on the charcuterie board, right? And it's like, chill out, girl. But no, what we have to understand is that hospitality was an enormous part of first-century Jewish culture. The traditions and customs that surrounded bringing someone into your home, welcoming the weary traveler, those weren't just good manners. Those were moral institutions. So for Martha to open her home to Jesus and company, 70 to 100 people, there was a substantial, significant expectation for hospitality. Preparations had to be made. Martha's not doing busy work. Martha's busy working. And we have another clue about the significance of her work in the word that Luke chose for this preparations, this much serving here, okay? I don't speak Greek, but I have Google. And the word he uses here is diaconia. And it's the same word that will later come to mean in the New Testament serving as a deacon of the church. In fact, 75% of the time that Luke uses this word, both in his gospel and the book of Acts, which he also wrote, 75% of the time he uses the word, he doesn't mean it to just serve and prepare food. He uses it as leadership in the early church, as advancing and proclaiming the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. So maybe Martha is serving and preparing food here, but Luke wants us to see it as ministry. Martha is doing good work, but what's it doing to her? the first word of description that we get in here is distracted. Distracted literally means pulled away from, disconnected. And what's pulling her away from Jesus in the circumstance? Yeah, there's the physical work that she has to do. Martha's in the kitchen, Jesus is in the living room, right? But y'all, Martha, Martha's burden is so much more Uh, significant than just trying to impress people with her centerpieces here, okay? Because she has opened her home to Jesus. She has embraced his message and is invested in advancing his ministry. So the fear of failure here is ripe. Now, her desire to help the cause is probably joined by a need to prove Herself. And Martha's no longer just distracted by what she's doing, but why she's doing it too. Um, just, I'm gonna just put this out there that like distracted is an accurate word to describe her in the circumstance. Maybe it's generous. <laughs> I can think of a list of words that my children or my family would use to describe me in the month of December, and distracted would not be on that list. <laughs> More like irritable, controlling perfectionistic, completely unsympathetic to anyone else's needs or wants in that circumstance, right? My my kids are in the front row afraid to agree with me. Martha is distracted not just by what she's doing, but why, and we all know how she feels. We know that her body probably hurt, and her mind was anxious and overwhelmed, and emotionally she was probably heading into despair. Martha was burning out. In the 1970s, the psychology institutions started studying this idea of burnout. Apparently, moms have been shopping for Christmas for years, and they wanted to know more about it. And so uh, what they found over 50 years of psychology research is that there are three elements, three universal things that everyone who goes through a period of burnout is going to experience. Today, we're going to call them our seeds of burnout. And this is what they are. Number one is called depersonalization. You could also call it cynicism. I have emotionally separated from the meaningfulness of what I'm doing. I no longer see the point. I'm not doing anything worthwhile. Number two is a decreased sense of accomplishment. I'm working harder and harder, but all I see happening is that my productivity and my self confidence are going down the tank. And the third is emotional exhaustion I am empty, I am spent. And I'm desperate to get out of this. These are the three seeds that we see universally in burnout. And it's time to get real friends. And I'm going to ask you, which one is hitting home today? Which one of those three is a little close to your heart? Because we're all going to experience burnout differently it's all. Uh, men are more likely to report depersonalization, for example, or cynicism. Women are more highly associated with emotional exhaustion. Surprise, surprise. But we all are going to experience these same seeds. So which one is hitting you right now? Because the thing we have to understand is that they all feed and reinforce each other. Because once I don't think that I'm doing anything important, it's just a small step over to I don't feel like I'm doing anything at all. And once we feel ineffective, poured out for no return, well, it's a micro step into I am absolutely depleted. And on and on and on we go. Except it doesn't look like this, does it? It looks like this. This is the spiral of burnout, and that stress cycle gets fired up, and we get into survival mode, and it's time for some good old fight, flight, or freeze. And Martha's a fighter. Watch how this plays out for her. Verse 40. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. There was a really uh, funny phenomenon funny haha, in my uh, house growing up when I was a teenager. Every time I sat down to watch TV, a basket of clean unfolded laundry would like materialize in front of me. And I wouldn't even see my mom or dad walk by. It was just like click, poof. And it happened so often and so reliably that to this day when I fold laundry at home, I have to watch TV while I do it. And I get it now as an adult, as a mom, I get it. I can smell when someone is about to relax in my house and there are chores to be done. I, I, I will find you. The other day, my six-year-old in all his wisdom came to me while I'm doing dishes and says, Mom, I'm bored. And from the other side of the house, the nine-year-old comes running out of the other room going, don't do it, Bobby. <laughs> She's going to give you a chore. I was so proud. But the point is, isn't just that Martha's bitter that Mary's not pulling her weight, right? We know that exhaustion breeds bitterness, but what we're going to see in these words that she speaks is so much more. We're going to see these three seeds of burnout, and we're going to see what it's done to her heart and her relationship with Jesus. And the first thing we have to see, Martha interrupts Jesus. This is not just like self-righteous blindness. This is depersonalization. Martha stops what she's doing in the kitchen, goes into the living room and says, hold that thought, rabbi. I've got something more important to talk about. And what we see is that she has forgotten the whole point of why she invited Jesus over in the first place. It wasn't to have dinner. It was to give him a place to teach. And now she, in her burnout and exhaustion, has forgotten how her work is meaningful and making and, and is part of making that happen. We can see that depersonalization, because she has forgotten, as one commentator said, "Who's giving the feast?" We can see that, and we can hear the lack of accomplishment. We can hear the emotional exhaustion, right? I can't do this by myself. I'm not enough to do all of this. I need help. I am desperate. Martha is burning out, and she is in this spiral downward, and we can see her desperation in no better place than the words, the question that she asks Jesus. Lord, don't you care? Martha doesn't just feel abandoned by Mary. Martha feels abandoned by God. And bless her heart if she isn't in some really good company too. When we are distracted and blinded by our own fear of failure, failure is all we can see. Doom is all we can see. And we think it's God that has left us. The disciples asked Jesus this exact same question when they thought their boat was going to sink on the Sea of Galilee. Lord, don't you care that we're going to drown? Because that was all they could see the potential for. King David was always running away from someone who was trying to murder him, right? And every time he did, he would say, Lord, why are you hiding your face from me? Because clearly, if I'm in this situation, you must be gone. My favorite example is this one, though. The Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And then God sent Moses to perform signs and wonders on his behalf. He sent plagues that hit the entire country of Egypt, but miraculously missed the Hebrew people. He led them out of Egypt by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then he parted the Red Sea so they could walk away from Pharaoh's army on dry ground. And 45 days after he did all of that, after he delivered them from 400 years of slavery, the Hebrew people got scared in the desert and they said, God, are you with us or not? When we're blinded by our own fear of failure and doom, that's all we can see. We're so distracted that we don't see how disconnected we've gotten from God. And we think it's him who's left us. And once we're convinced that we're on our own, look what we do. Look what Martha says next. Tell her to help me. Martha tells Jesus what to do. And don't think that the grammatical structure of this as a command is like some error in translation. Oh no, Martha expects him to listen to her. And maybe we're not so overt as to, as to speak to God in that way, but you better believe that we're, we're here and we feel isolated and we feel abandoned and it's fight, flight, or freeze. You better believe we're going to act like we have the answers, yeah? Yeah. We're gonna act like we better, we know what's best, like everyone needs to listen to us and do what we say, how we say it, so that the outcome will be how we see it. And now, now I have taken on way more authority than I was ever designed or intended to carry. Now I have made myself singularly responsible for the outcome, for the success. It's now by my wisdom, my ability, and my power that the outcome will come what I want it to be, that will, su- success will come, that my identity, dignity, and worth will be validated. And of course we're burned out. Because we can't, and we know it. Because we know that when we're singularly responsible for the outcome, that well is going to run dry eventually. And we're going to burn out because we're not enough. Do you know what happened to the Hebrews 45 days after they left Egypt? Their food and water ran out. The provisions that they brought with them from Egypt went dry. Their ability to provide for their needs was gone. And they were blinded by their own insufficiency. We think that we're on our own in this. And it leaves us in a place of burnout And that's exactly what Jesus tells Martha. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, before you freak out because Jesus told a woman that she was upset, he's the son of God. And it's also not what he said, it's how he said it. Martha, Martha, Jesus starts. Fun fact, did some research. There are exactly eight times in the Bible where God starts a conversation with someone by saying their name twice. And every single time he does it, he is about to radically change their life. Moses, Moses, have I got a job for you. Samuel, Samuel, wake up, kid. You're going to be the mouthpiece of God. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Instead, I'm going to make you my chosen instrument. So Martha, Martha, Jesus starts. I see you. I see your heart. Let's flip the script because you are anxious and overwhelmed by so many things. But all of that striving, all it's done is pull you away from me. And the problem is getting help from Mary isn't the answer. Lessening your to-do list, becoming more efficient, Getting more exercise, changing careers, drinking more water, or listening to a Brene Brown podcast is not going to help because it can't. None of that can reconnect you with your purpose. None of that can mitigate the fear of failure that is plaguing your heart and blinding you from me right now. The only thing, the one thing that can do that is to reconnect with me. That's what Jesus invites Martha, and he invites every single one of us in that state of burnout to come and do right now, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? It means to worship, yes. It means to pray, yes. It means to read the word and learn from Jesus and love him, yes. It also means to submit to his authority, To sit at the feet of Jesus means to put faith in his leadership for our lives. And here's the big one. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, friends, we recognize that we needed a Savior. We needed a Savior, and we were worth saving and that was his why when he left heaven and poured himself out on the cross. You were his why. And now Jesus invites us to come and sit at his feet and let him become our better why for that good work that we're doing. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, we recognize we needed a savior and we were worth saving And now our security, our identity, and our worth are secure in him. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, our security is in our Savior, not our own success. That's what he is inviting us here today. And that's what he says cannot be taken away from Mary, can it? Because neither height nor depth, neither present nor future, neither success nor failure can ever separate you from that love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It cannot be taken away from you. So when we sit at his feet, we sit in the security of that truth. And that becomes our why, our better why for our good work. He doesn't tell Martha to stop working. He just says, you need a better why for it. Come and sit at my feet. He reorients her heart. He reorients her heart. And when he is my why, he is also going to be my way because that well never runs dry. So I don't have to be enough, friends, because Jesus always is. I know I'm not reinventing the wheel here, guys. I know that if you've been around church for a minute, you've heard something like this before. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Paul. He wrote a lot of books about it. But the thing is, we do this thing as believers sometimes where we believe something, and then we just sort of set it there, and go on with our lives, right? But here's the problem. I can believe that doing exercise is going to make me stronger, but unless I spend time in the gym lifting the heavy things, I'm not going to experience any change. I can believe that going to bed earlier is going to help me be more alert and awake the next day, but unless I spend time in bed sleeping, I'm not going to experience any change. We can believe that our security is in our Savior and not our own success, but unless we spend time at the feet of Jesus, we will not experience any change because this is the most remarkable part of the story that we cannot miss. The opportunity For Jesus to reorient Martha's heart comes because she came to him in the fullness of her emotion and said, I need help. The context of relationship, that's where Jesus had the ability to change her heart so we have to spend time with him. This is not a matter of us making him our why. This is his work to do on our hearts. He's not telling us a hidden meaning here. There's no theoretical like meaning to this story. This is a practical takeaway today, friends. Jesus isn't saying, just have more faith. Jesus isn't saying, just believe harder. He's saying, come to me, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I was a a burned out believer by age 20. I was I was burned out at (laughs) spending my whole life trying to measure up to an impossible standard trying to convince either God and myself that either I deserved salvation or I could pay him back for it with all of the good work that I was doing. Only I couldn't, right? I couldn't. And that version of God and Christianity, that was too much. And I burned out and I walked away. But God didn't walk away from me. And God kept putting people in my life that showed me that maybe I didn't quite understand who the God of unconditional love was. Two of those people are here today. They kept showing me that maybe I needed to relearn who God was. And I'll never forget what the words were that my brother said to me when I told him that I was searching for faith again. He said, Jack, if you hunger to know God like you say you do, then devour his words. So I picked up a fork. I picked up a fork and I started in Romans because I thought I was smart. And it turns out, friends, it turns out that my security and identity as a child of God has nothing to do with my striving or success and everything, everything to do with the work of my Savior on the cross. If you're looking for a way to pick up a fork this morning, to develop that relationship, to get into a rhythm of spending time with Jesus, we have a wonderful resource available for you. Friends, I have never met a person who loves making people love their Bibles more than Robin Bupp. She's our group's coordinator. And she has prepared a reading uh, guide for through the season of Advent that goes along with our message series called Broken Saviors. There's a QR code on the screen or on the uh, seat in front of you. Look, use that resource to devour his words this Advent season and develop that relationship with Jesus so that he can become your better why. I invite you to stand as we pray and close our time together. Lord Jesus, we're distracted. We, can, we admit we are distracted not just by what we have to do, Lord, but we're so distracted by why we think we have to do it. And we invite you today, we invite you to interrupt that, God. We are so grateful for your invitation to us today to come to your feet, to come to your feet and recognize that we needed saving and we were worth saving. And that was why you came. And that is why we can do the good work we have to do. Jesus, we ask you to guide us and empower us and become not only our why, but our way through the good work that you've prepared for us to do. In your name that we pray. Amen.